one of the miracles, I think, in the service and the ministry of the Lord that has related to my own life in the last decade in my involvement with the Baptist Sunday School Board is the fact that we have several hundred of our people who constantly travel. That's a part of their work. They're consultants in every area of the life of the church and constantly travel all over the world, leading conferences and seminars. In the almost 100-year history of the Baptist Sunday School Board, with the hundreds and hundreds of people who travel literally hundreds of thousands, I suppose millions of miles a year, in the near 100 years, there has only been one death by accident of any employee of the board traveling. That one death was a man that you know very well. Very few Sundays go by that you do not sing something that he wrote. B.B. McKinney is no doubt one of the greatest hymn writers in all the history of the church. And he was killed in an automobile accident returning from Ridgecrest. For many, many years, Mrs. B.B. McKinney continued to live and be very active as a member in the First Baptist Church at Nashville. And it was always a little bit of a dangerous thing. She lived to be in her 90s, and she drove a little Volkswagen, and you just needed to know it when she was coming your way. But she passed away just this past year, just a few months ago. I bring you that simply because I want to share with you one of the great hymns that B.B. McKinney wrote. Now, don't worry, I'm not going to sing it. But I want you to listen very carefully, and then I want us all to sing it in a few minutes. Have faith in God when your pathway is lonely. He sees and knows all the way you have trod. Never alone are the least of his children. Have faith in God. Have faith in God. Have faith in God when your prayers are unanswered. Your earnest plea he will never forget. Wait on the Lord. Trust his word and be patient. Have faith in God. He'll answer yet. Have faith in God in your pain and your sorrow. His heart is touched with your grief and despair. Cast all your cares and your burdens upon him and leave them there. Oh, leave them there. Have faith in God. 
though all else fail about you. Have faith in God. He provides for his own. He cannot fail, though all kingdoms shall perish. He rules, he reigns upon his throne. Have faith in God, he's on his throne. Have faith in God, he watches o'er his own. He cannot fail, he must prevail. Have faith in God. Have faith in God. Bob, let's sing all four verses before we sing the refrain and the refrain at the close. Bobby, Brian, let's stand and sing hymn number 376. Sometimes we sing our hymns so often and we're so familiar with them and we sing from rote or from memory and the majesty and the wonder and the beauty of the message, the words of the hymn sometimes escape us. It's good once in a while, I think, just to read hymns as well, Bob, is to sing them 
in order that the message of the familiar words come through to us. I do not know specifically what B.B. McKinney had in mind as far as the text was concerned out of the Word of God for the writing of that beautiful hymn, but it could have been this. First John, little first epistle of John in the fifth chapter and the first five verses. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ, is the Messiah, is born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. This is how we know that we love the children of God by loving God and carrying out his commands. This is love for God to obey his commands. And his, his commands are not burdensome. For everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. John wrote this little general letter to probably a very small, struggling congregation of believers. I doubt if there was anybody in the first hearing of this letter that could be considered to be important in the Roman Empire or occupying some exalted place of position. They probably were small in number, didn't have much money. They certainly did not have any clout or influence down at the courthouse. Just an humble group of folk facing hard times and difficult days. And John writes to them and he says to them, though measured by the yardstick of the world, you don't have much, but measured by the things of God, you've got the finest thing going, and that's your faith in Jesus, the Son of God. It is easy to become so familiar with some things that we take them for granted. I wrote a sermon years ago on faithless familiarity. It can be so familiar with a thing that we somehow forget 
its value, its worth, its meaning for our lives. I guess one of the easiest illustrations of that on, the, on, a, on a human level is that you, uh, you want to have a particular piece of furniture for your living room a little more than you really can afford and you put it off but the time comes when you go down and you buy that particular piece of furniture and it's delivered and you make certain that you vacuumed you know just the spot where it's going to go in the living room and the other pieces of furniture get rearranged to accommodate it. And then, for a long time, every time you go through the living room, you, at first, you, you pause and you look over at that new piece of furniture and you think to yourself, it just is exactly what I wanted, that's right. It just fits, that's good. And then a little later on, you walk through the living room and you, you don't pause, but you glance at it and yeah, it looks nice. Glad we got that. And then there comes the time you walk through the living room, you don't even see it. It's just there. We become so familiar with it that it almost becomes invisible. Now, faith is just exactly like that. There was a time when in the newness of our Christian experience, our faith was something that was treasured and wonderful, and we thought about it and we thank God for it. When you go to the Lord in prayer and you say, thank you, Lord, that you let me know about you and that you let me have faith in your son, the Lord Jesus. And then we get a little older and we begin to thank him for this or that or the other. And we begin to ask for this or that or the other. And well, let me just ask you, how long has it been since you, in your prayer life, you specifically thank? God for the gift of faith that's yours. Probably been a while. John said, for everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. The victory that overcomes the world. There's a lot of overcoming that needs to be done. There are a lot of victories that we need to have. But many times we settle down to a sort of a ho-hum, complacent kind of a Christian life and we really don't much care whether we have any more victories or not. 
and we don't really carry a burden anymore in our soul as to whether the church has any more big days of victory and, and reaches a new plateau of, of spiritual excitement. But you say, well, you know, okay or okay. But the victory in our daily lives, our personal lives, the victory that comes in the church in any given moment and victory upon victory is always built upon faith. You say, well, how can you grow your faith? It depends on what you feed it. You see, that's one of the one of the rules of life itself. A thing grows on the basis of what it is fed. Do you feed your faith? If your faith is not fed, it doesn't grow. And if your faith does not grow, it means that you have fewer and fewer victories. And the great sadness is we don't miss the victories we're not having anymore. That's sad. Faith. For too many of us who are regular and active and we come and we wouldn't feel right if we weren't church on Sunday night or on Wednesday night. It's a, it's a part of our life. But the dynamic exercise of the faith that we put in Jesus Christ has grown a little bit anemic. Sometimes as individual Christians, sometimes as a church, we're afraid to venture out into an unknown because it's safer and more comfortable just to stay with what we can nail down. But you see, when we just stay with what we nail down, then we don't give God a chance to do something new and wonderful and dynamic and exciting in our lives or in our church. Faith. Faith is the key that unlocks the realm of limitless possibilities. It's faith. Now, we all know our limitations. You know mine better than I do. I may, in this period of time, know some of yours better than you do. We all have our limitations. But the reality of faith, which is a gift of God, by the way, you can't conjure it up, Faith is a gift. It is a gift of the Holy Spirit of God. The very faith that you place in the Lord Jesus Christ was a gift to you from the Holy Spirit of God. And you say, well then, what? if I can't massage it, if I can't make it grow, if I can't... Oh, no, wait a minute. I didn't say that. I simply said you don't originate it. It originates at the very throne of God. 
but then in the realization that faith is a gift from him that we pray for an increase in our faith, for an exercise of our faith, for the development of our faith, and it means stepping sometimes ever so timidly into arenas of new spiritual service that we've not tried before, that common sense might say you can't do that, but the presence of the Holy Spirit of God in your life and in the church makes the difference. The world and the flesh and the devil will never ever be overcome by or by knowledge. The devil and the world and the flesh can be overcome only by the reality of the dynamic of the Holy Spirit of God and that we claim by faith. And it is in the exercise then of that faith as we exercise it, it grows stronger and is then able to venture into ever new areas of our life so that all of our lives become lives of reaching out and touching others in a ministry for the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. The faith that overcomes is a faith then that is more than simply being self-confident. In fact, you can have all the self-confidence in the world and live lives that are absolutely, totally an antithesis to the life of faith. There was a fellow that had been going for about six months. Maybe I told you about this man been going about six months to the psychiatrist, try to help him with his inferiority complex. Tell you about him? And about six months he had his sessions with him and finally at the conclusion of one of those sessions, six months down the road, the psychiatrist said to him, he said, well, this is our last session. He said, Doc, what do you mean it's our last session? He said, you really haven't helped me. He said, well, he said, I've discovered in six months in counseling you you do not have an inferiority complex. Oh? Now I've discovered you are inferior. <laughs> now, self-confidence is not the same thing as faith. Faith will help us have self-confidence, but if we just beat the drums and we try to just conjure it up out of ourselves, we're on the road then maybe to a temporary kind of an excitement but not to a permanent kind of victory in the things that really make a difference. Faith is the victory over sin. Sin's the big problem. I'm not going to preach my morning sermon again, although I suppose I ought to. Bill Bates finally has decided to come back to church. He didn't hear that sermon this morning. He was out where he's finishing up an interim, and he probably needs to hear that sermon on sin about as much as anybody I know. But Bill, get the tape. It'll do you good. 
But faith is the victory over sin in our lives. And that is our problem. Sin in us, sin around us, sin in others that touches and affects us. One of the biggest lies that the devil ever sells any of us on, I'll do what I want to, I'm only hurting myself. Dads say that and their kids are hurt forever. Mamas say, I'll do what I want to do, I'm only hurting myself. And they're lying because generations can be affected by sinful living. The guy guzzles his beer and gets in his truck and heads down a highway going the wrong way. And folks are killed. And he says while he's guzzling his beer, my business ain't hurting nobody but myself. Sin always reaches out in a widening circle. Faith is the victory in salvation. It is not our morality that saves us. It's not reformation that saves us. It's not ritualism that saves us. It's not having nice church services that saves us. Not singing pretty hymns that saves us. It's not listening to long old boring sermons that save us. It's faith in Jesus Christ. It is the grace of God made available to us and faith becomes the hands whereby we receive his unmerited favor. Faith is the victory in the Christian life. When you became a Christian, there was a declaration of war and there are many, many battles that are fought if you're to be victorious in your Christian life. One of the great preachers in Texas, now long gone, home to heaven, was famous for a saying. He says, an addition to the church ought to be a subtraction from the world. For when we accept Christ and put our faith in him and in that conversion experience, then we are enlisting in the battle of spiritual warfare. Faith is victory over sorrow. I love to read the Gospels where we see Jesus at work. We listen to his voice. We see his hands reaching out and touching and ministering. We see lives that are changed as he goes through village after village. And there was that experience that is described that Jesus in Capernaum, the centurion, comes to him and says, my servant is grievously sick. And Jesus says, okay, I'll come straightway to your house and I'll heal him. And the centurion says, you don't have to do that. I know about you. He said, I'm a man under authority. I can say to folks, come and they come, go and they go. I know that you're a person under authority, under spiritual authority. And I know that you don't have to go to my house, although I'd love to have you there in order for my servant to be healed. And Jesus marveled at his faith. We all walk in dark places. If you haven't stood by new, fresh, open graves where the earth has been torn, symbolic of your heart that has been torn because death has come and we say goodbye, 
for as long as there's this physical life. Sorrow comes to all of us. What's the victory? What's the answer? What's the balm? It's our faith in Jesus Christ. As we look at Jesus, as we listen to Jesus, as we behold the humanity of Jesus as he wept by the tomb of his friend Lazarus, as we see him reaching out in a helping way to bless those who've had troubles and difficulties and sorrows and needs, here we catch a glimpse of the secret of it all that Jesus really cares. Jesus really is concerned. And faith is the victory over our sorrows. Faith is the victory over all of the reverses that come to us. The classic example of that, of course, in the scriptures is Job. I'm looking forward to meeting old Job when we get to heaven. A lot of questions I'd like to ask him. The very name Job stands for patience. It means overcoming. It means a steadfastness in the face of every kind of reverse. It nearly can be described or thought of. Job lost everything in his life except his faith in God. And it was because of his faith in God that he became victorious even in this life before God took him home. And he uttered those marvelous words that have comforted us across thousands of years when in the face of our reverses, when things have not gone well, we remember that Job said in the midst of his sorrows, I know that my Redeemer liveth. Faith is the victory. Faith is the way. John wrote, For everyone born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Hymn number 189, I'll live for him who died for me.